Instant Sermon Weekend here on Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Welcome to the program. This is the place that we come together every week to develop our confidence in God, because we believe faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I think that encapsulates a lot of what we need to think about when we think about growing our faith or developing our faith or living out our faith. It's the idea of developing confidence in God. He wants us to trust him. And really, really, we want to trust him. Sometimes it's harder for us to trust him. And that's why we're helping each other. That's why we're stretching toward God's high calling of trusting God. And that's why we're trying to trust God, because we know God wants us to trust him. He's given us all kinds of evidence that he's trustworthy. It becomes our challenge now to develop that confidence in him so that we are not led astray, we are not deceived, we are not discouraged, because we have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Well, I'm so glad you joined us. We're really pleased to be able to share this time with you. We want to indeed add value to each other as we do this. It helps me to do these programs. I hope it helps you as you listen to them. Sometimes I wish we could sit down and all of us that are listening now have a cup of coffee and talk about things. That would be a little bit of a challenge, I think. But maybe we can think of today as, as that kind of time, because that's the idea behind Instant Sermon, is just to have a conversation. Now, we do the Instant Sermon idea every time that a month has five Sundays. And so January has five Sundays. And so that's why this is Instant Sermon Sunday for us, Instant Sermon Weekend here. And Instant Sermon is, as I, as I say too often, I know it's not adding water to the pastor and shaking him up or adding water to the pastor and stirring him up. That's not the idea at all. It's not like making instant potatoes, for example. No, instant sermon is just meant to be a conversation where we invite God into our conversation together. And I invite people to submit a question or an idea to help me understand what's on their mind. And then we can talk about that together. Now, typically I ask people to, to submit their thought, their idea, their, sometimes I say wonderment in the form of a question, because I think it helps them process what's on their mind and it helps me know what's on their mind that helps clarify things. So most of the time people will write their instant sermon concern in the form of a question. Sometimes they don't, and that's okay. We still handle all of that kind of stuff because after all, the idea is to, to have a conversation, to try to help each other uh, and to help me understand better what's on their minds so that it'll help me as a, as a pastor do a better job. It's uh, really not at all the time when I put myself out there as the answer man. I remember hearing about a pastor many, many years ago that, that kind of presented himself to his church as the answer man on everything. Well, I don't pretend to have the answer to everything. God helps us understand him and the Bible, and I'm happy to engage in that. I do think that when God prompts us to investigate something, he will lead us to an answer if we're willing to follow. I think a lot of the times the problem we have in accepting God's answer is it's not what we wanted to hear, because God sometimes, uh, maybe many times, it might depend upon where we are in our spiritual development, he'll, he'll talk to us in ways that, that we didn't expect, or he will stretch us in ways we don't want to think about because, well, he knows that's what we need. And one of the things that helps me when God stretches us is to realize that 
He doesn't stretch me in the direction that he wants me to go without providing the grace to get me in that direction. And so that helps me a little bit because every time that God seems to stretch me and I want to say to him, I don't think I can do that. I'm reminded that everything God asked me to do, he gives me grace to accomplish. And that's true for you. So anyway, that's, that's a lot of talk about questions and so forth. And I love questions and I love wrestling with them. I've always loved questions. Don't really know why. I'm pretty sure that I tormented my mother, especially my father. He didn't have any problem with questions. He and I had lots of robust discussions, but I'm pretty sure when I was a kid and didn't know any better, well, sometimes I don't know any better today, but particularly as a kid, I probably asked too many questions that, that were either foolish or that she didn't really have time or energy to deal with or couldn't figure out what was going on between my ears and but anyway, I came to realize much later in my life that I just loved questions. And I've come to realize that when you're wrestling with something, one of the best ways to clarify that idea or that concern is to ask a good question about it. Because when you start asking good questions and then looking for answers, you can often resolve things much better than you ever could. And it also takes away that, um, a uh, terrible trap too many people fall into that trap of worry and i don't want you to worry i want you to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of god so let's plunge in there's probably more we could talk about with the idea of instant sermon but hopefully you've gotten the idea behind it and i want to walk down through a few questions some of them are questions that people ask me just like i've got them here uh, some of them are questions that that i've kind of had to clarify from, from conversations I've had with people. And so I put them in, a for, in the form of a question, but hopefully it'll, you'll find it useful and helpful. And together we can develop our confidence in God. And you know, I, I suppose people think it's funny that I keep saying together, I say that at church too, but we need to encourage each other. We need to remind each other. And when I'm talking about something on Sundays, I will frequently say, now y'all need to remind me when I need to hear this. And I don't know if anybody consciously does that, but I hope they will because we all need that kind of support from each other. That's why God put us together, right? To support each other. And when we need help, we should ask for it. And when we get help without asking, we should be thankful for it. And when somebody needs our help and our support, we should be ready to offer it. Okay, so let's talk about some questions that, that I have for us here today. First one is this, how can we not be afraid when we hear so much about terrible stuff happening all around us. Well, there is a lot of stuff that, that would evoke fear in our minds and our hearts. We hear about a lot of things. In fact, most of the things, if you listen to the news, and I encourage you to listen to it less or not at all, because I find it increasingly uh, discouraging, increasingly deceptive. Uh, I saw a news report this week that is absolutely 100% designed to mislead the public. It is not at all an attempt to, to talk about this issue accurately. It is an, completely an attempt to confuse the issue, to divide people, to advance an agenda. That is not at all the issue involved because I was personally involved in that issue. That's a little bit of a different discussion. Maybe we need to talk about that sometime on the program. Maybe we will, maybe next week, we'll see. But anyway, let's talk about this idea of fear. Well, you've probably heard, and I've said to people, and, and I kind of like this idea, I don't know where it came from, uh, don't know how to prove it, uh, don't know that it's not 
the case. I just don't know. But you probably heard people say that that the Bible tells us to fear not 365 times. Well, it's a lot that the Bible tells us. It's the most frequent command that God gives us. It's probably also the most frequently disobeyed command. Whoops, did he say that? Uh, yep, he did, didn't he? Uh, because people tend to be afraid. Now, now we need to clarify some of what I mean by that. But the 365 days is obviously is the idea behind uh, that is that we have one command for every day. So it reminds us daily not to be afraid. Now, when I say don't be afraid, I think we all understand that that I, I'm not suggesting we put all caution aside and say, well, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to close my eyes and walk across a busy intersection and trust God that I won't get clobbered by a semi at full speed. You know, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. Let, let's make sure we understand that. I'm not talking about the kinds of things that something might happen and and uh, all of a sudden your response is fear, you know, the old fight or flight idea. Uh, that, that happens. That, that happens on, on the interstate sometimes, you know, when we see somebody doing something they shouldn't do or something suddenly happens and, and, and all of a sudden we're have, we have to respond quickly. Those are, those are normal kinds of things. The fear that I, that I believe that God is talking to us about is this idea of always being afraid or thinking of reasons to being afraid or living a life that's based on fear. Now, we hear a lot of things that could make us afraid. Let me give you an example. We live in hurricane country. I knew that when I moved to Florida 25 years ago, and one of the things that was on my mind is, what about hurricanes? Well, one of the things I learned was that where I happen to live geographically is one of the least likely places for a hurricane to strike. I've learned over 25 years that in spite of that statistic, we can still have hurricanes because we have. And I've been through a couple, and I know much more now about how to handle that. I don't prefer to have to handle that. I sometimes ask people whether they'd prefer living through a hurricane or a blizzard. And uh, most people who grew up in Florida and have lived in Florida all their lives, they say hurricane. Me, I've experienced both. I would prefer a blizzard over a hurricane. That's just me. Well, anyway, the, the idea of a hurricane is to be prepared. And now that we do have to take cautions, but we don't need to be afraid of them. We just need to be prepared. And if they come in our area, and if they are the category of storm that, that is so dangerous that we don't want to risk staying here, then not out of fear, but out of reasonable caution, we evacuate. But most of the time we prepare. And so I've learned how to prepare so that I don't need to be afraid. All I knew about preparation before I moved to Florida was watching the people preparing for a hurricane. They'd line up at the supply stores for plywood and water. I'd see the pictures on TV of supply shelves empty because people had bought all the bottled water and all the other supplies. Well, that's kind of normal. That's what happens. People do get their supplies sometimes at the last minute. My wife and I have learned, and so we've developed a few strategies to, to be prepared so we don't have to do things at the last minute because we've learned that hurricanes are inevitable, other kinds of storms come our way, and we've decided that we're going to do what we can do to be prepared. And so we are. Now, that doesn't mean we're not cautious, but it means we aren't afraid. We can handle the, the basic things of hurricanes. But here's what I've also noticed about hurricanes, and this is true about lots of weather events. And when I say this, I'm not throwing stones at the meteorologists on TV unless they deserve it. Uh, and I'm not sure that all of them do, 
But I have noticed that when a weather event is imminent, whether it's a hurricane or something else, and, and that happens from time to time here, we'll have some kind of cold front. Yes, even in Florida, we have cold fronts. Who, who knew that, huh? Sometimes they will come and kick off some storms. And so there are cautions that are sent out, warnings of one kind or another. And unfortunately, what I've often seen is that while they try to be rather dispassionately professional, often the, the information comes across as, oh, watch out, it's coming. And you better, you better hunker down. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's, it could be really bad. It could be this. It could be that. It could be the other thing. And, and it could be a lot of things. Nobody knows when you're predicting the weather, right? God knows we don't. But what would it, the difference be in our response, in our thinking, if when some of these terrible things have either developed or are developing, uh, and I want to use hurricanes as an example of that, what, what difference might it be if instead of the, oh, if you haven't gotten your supplies, you better get them now. And instead of the, the amped up rhetoric that, that compels people to listen and makes people afraid, what if the news media, what if the meteorologists said, particularly they could say this in Florida, Ladies and gentlemen, we know you've gotten your hurricane supplies together. We know you understand storms. We know most of you have your hurricane shutters available. Now's the time to put them up. We need to be prepared for this storm, but we have every confidence that you are going to be prepared. We have confidence in the people of Southwest Florida because you've been listening to our, our guidance in terms of getting ready for a storm. You're watching as the storm develops and comes our way. You're, you're making your preparations in a timely and efficient manner. And we know we are resilient people here in Southwest Florida. We are gonna handle this storm. We're gonna help each other. And we want you to know from our perspective as, as those who watch the weather, that yes, it could be serious, but we also know because we watched this and we've seen it before, that if you have a problem because of this weather event, because of this hurricane, we wanna assure you that the county is well-prepared from their standpoint to offer assistance. And we know your neighbors will help you if you need help. So we don't want you to be afraid. We just want you to be prepared. Well, I was thinking about that and I thought, wow, if we ever heard that, people would certainly not have the anxious concern they so often have. They would not be hunkering down the way they are. Now we might stay in our houses, I would. I mean, I have been known to step outside when a hurricane was blowing just because I wanted to see what it was like. But it wasn't dangerous to do that. I knew that. I could tell that. But I wasn't going to take a walk down the street. I was cautious. And so we need to help each other not be afraid. And sometimes the influences around us don't help us. And that's why I think we need to hear from God. And that's why we need to help each other have confidence in him and to remind each other. We don't need to be afraid. God is with us. He hasn't abandoned us. Come what may, he will still be here. No storm, no problem in life, no terrible event is going to shake God, and he will be with us and help us through it. We can trust him. So earlier this week, I was reminded by a pastor friend about a verse in Hebrews, and so I went looking at it, and it really answers this question and, and helps me. Now, we've been saying at our church, and this, so this question fits right into this. I've been thinking about this quite a lot. We've been saying to each other that this is the year of courage. You know, we've seen fear grip people a lot during these last couple of years. We've seen fear grip the church and church people. And, and I, I guess God's finally had enough. And when he and I were working on what we would call this year at our church, it was very 
easy for him to say to me, this is the year of courage. And I was very quick to say, that's right, because we need to help each other not be afraid. We never, we never benefit when we make decisions out of fear. Uh, I've often said to people, there's no, there's no benefit in fear. It just doesn't help. Now, there might be bad things that happen. There might be reasons to wonder about the unknown, but fear doesn't help. And we need to realize that God is in the unknown, and God will be with us, and we can trust him. So let's. So anyway, this pastor friend was reminding me and a group of us that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 says, so do not throw away your confidence. And, you know, I thought that's a great perspective. That's a great perspective. I appreciated the reminder because we don't want to throw away our confidence. We want to strengthen our confidence. We want to develop our confidence. So I went looking at this verse a little bit more and if you knew me very well, you know, one of the things I like to do when somebody just puts a verse out there is I like to check the context of the verse so that I can really understand what's going on better. And so I don't make a distorted interpretation of it. I don't want to, I don't want to make a mistake. It's, it's my responsibility. It's in some respects, all of our responsibility, but particularly those of us who are pastors and teachers, we have a real responsibility to keep the sacred story straight. So I went back to the context of this, and I want to read from Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read from the New International Version today, but listen to what the writer is saying just a few sentences before he gets to this, so do not throw away your confidence. Now wait for that line, but listen to what the context of him saying, do not throw away your confidence. Starting with verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. And I found that so helpful and so encouraging because it put it in the context of people who had suffered in ways that you and I probably haven't. Some of us maybe. Most of us know. Most of us have not been persecuted like they were. Most of us have not been insulted publicly like they were. Some of us maybe. Most of us haven't been in prison because of our faith in Christ. Most of us haven't had our property confiscated. But he reminds all of us in that context that even if your property is taken from you, you know you have better and lasting possessions. Now, wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? That's a huge statement. And then he says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So what's he saying? Don't be afraid. Keep in mind the perspective that God is with you, that no matter what happens, that we need to persevere so that when we've done the will of God, we will receive what he has promised. And dare I remind us? Of course I dare. You've probably already thought of this. If you're worried about doing the will of God, let me give you a real helpful clue here. You can do the will of God by not being afraid, by hanging on to your confidence, by persevering, by not giving up. You can accomplish what God wants you to accomplish 
simply by putting fear aside and following him faithfully and with confidence. The popular saying these days is faith over fear, and that's exactly right. You can substitute some other words for that word faith if you want to. Confidence is a good one. Confidence over fear. That makes all the difference. And we need to be that kind of people. We want to be that kind of people. Well, that's a popular idea for me these days. And so you kind of get the idea that I had a lot to say about that. I don't think that's a particularly well thought out idea yet from what I've shared with you, but I keep working on it. We're going to work on it some more at our church because this is the year of courage and we're determined to remind each other to have courage. We don't know what might happen. We don't know what's ahead of, for us, but we're not going to be afraid because we trust in the one who knows the future. We trust in the one who keeps his eye on us. We trust in the one that we will meet in that future when maybe there is something we'd rather not face happens, but we're going to have confidence at that moment because we trust in him. So whatever you're facing, maybe it's a medical uncertainty, maybe it's a medical certainty. Whatever you're facing, just remember there's no need to be afraid because God is with you. When you have absolute allegiance to him and you develop confidence in him, your heart can be at ease and you can have peace in the midst of all of that. And that's what I want for you. That's what he wants for you. So no matter what, don't give in to fear. Remind yourself that you can trust him. I'm convinced it's the enemy of our souls that wants us to be afraid because he can manipulate us. I'm convinced that some people have decided that they want to live their lives in fear because they love being afraid. I know that sounds twisted. I hope you think it sounds twisted, but you've heard about the people that uh, I remember hearing about this many years ago. I was pretty young then. I didn't quite understand what that was about, but I remember someone saying, and I'm not sure who said it now or who they said it about, have no clue, but they said, and they named the person. They said that person would worry if they didn't have something to worry about. Well, that's exactly why God tells us fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't throw away your confidence. It's not about worry, and worry is not a badge to be carried. Worry is something to overcome. So if you struggle with that, strengthen your confidence. Believe what God says, because he is with us. He's not going to abandon you. When you are faithful to him, he is not going to abandon you. Doesn't mean you won't have some challenging times. Doesn't mean you'll be a bed of roses all the time. You know, the old song, I never promised you a rose garden. The Bible doesn't promise us a rose garden but God promises to be with us and we can trust him. All right. How about another question before we have to take a break or maybe before we need a break? This one's kind of interesting. And, and uh, I think we need to wrestle with this as, as the people of God, particularly as Americans it may apply to people outside of our country. But the question was asked as American Christians, what should we be doing to fight the evil taking over our nation? Well, that's a very big question, and there, is, there are lots of potential answers to that. I'm sure you can think of that as well. So let's think about that a little bit. First thing that, that occurs to me is that too many people in the church today, as I've experienced it, maybe it's not true for you, I, I hope not, but too many people these days in the church have trouble calling evil, evil. We seem to have a reluctance to want to think that something or someone is evil. And I'm not sure why that is. I think it's because we've convinced ourselves or we've been told we need to be this way, that somehow calling evil evil is rude, crude, and unacceptable. Well, 
it's it's not necessarily impolite to identify something as what it is. Now, it doesn't mean that you're throwing stones at a person or an idea by calling it evil. It just means you're describing it. Now, nobody wants to be called evil. I don't think we enjoy identifying someone as evil. Uh, some, some people do, of course, but most of us probably don't. But I'm convinced that we need to, to understand what God says to us, and we need to admit that there is evil in the world, and we need to identify it. What I've often said, and, and maybe I've said it so many times on this program that you're tired of hearing it, maybe I need to say it more often because we need to get tired of hearing it, but I've often said that good-hearted people have a real hard time understanding black-hearted people. Good-hearted people have an enormously difficult time wrapping their head around black-hearted people because they can't imagine people acting in the way that they act. And I'm here to tell you, without a doubt, we need to face up to that. Now, when I refer to someone as black-hearted, that's a description. Oh, you're judging them. No, I don't mean to be judging them. God is the judge, and it's not up for me to do that. But it is up for me, and this is biblical, to identify if they are doing things that are evil and call it evil. And if they are living a life characterized by evil behaviors, then to call them evil is not inaccurate. It's accurate, and it's necessary. It also reminds us how we need to pray for them that God would open their eyes so they're no longer deceived by the evil that obviously is, is pulling their strings, driving them in the direction they're going. So we as American Christians, we as Christians around the world, really, we need to be willing to identify evil when we see it. We need to be able to say there's evil and stay away from it. We need to be able to identify evil and keep our kids away from it, because evil just intends to destroy and to raise itself in opposition to God. So one of the ways you might think about, how do I know if something is evil? Well, clearly, if it violates one of the Ten Commandments, it's an evil deed. So for example, if someone deliberately dishonors their father or mother, that's an evil deed. You just That's just all it is to it. It's not right. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And failure to do that, that's evil. The Bible says, one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. People who steal, that's evil. That's participation in evil. That's wrong. And we need to understand that. So maybe in, in, a, in a shorthand sense, at least, we can come to grips with if someone or some idea opposes God, it's evil. And there's plenty of opposition to God out there, plenty of evil ideas, plenty of things that are leading people to destruction. And that's where evil leads to destruction. So I don't want to us to be self-righteously judging the people around us. That's not at all what I'm saying here. But I want us to be willing to agree with God when God says this is evil, that we need to be willing to say, yes, it's evil, and we need to be redemptive in that situation. I don't mean to say that when you see someone who is a chronic liar and you identify that as evil behavior, that you need to pile on to them and condemn them and criticize them and call them out. No, I mean that we need to be redemptive in those situations, because if we can recognize that what they're doing is wrong, then we can realize what we need to do to help them. Because the Bible is clear 
that there's no place in the kingdom of heaven for liars. And so if somebody repeatedly lies, then we've got to identify that as evil. And, and we've got to stay away from the people that tell us lies. And we've got to try to be redemptive in ways that we can. Now, that's one of the reasons that I have said to people for a while now, turn off the television and quit watching. People watch the local news or the national news. They say they want to catch up on the day. No, that's not the way to do it if they're going to tell us lies, and they do repeatedly. Because if they lie about one thing, how do you know they're not lying about the other thing? And so we, the people of God, we need to identify lying to us as evil. Now, we need to be informed and aware, but some people just can't handle that diet of evil that comes through the television. So why don't we turn it off? Too many people have the TV on from the time they wake up in the morning till the time they go to bed. Turn it off. You don't need that companion. You need to stay away from that which is evil. And when they're telling us lies and we're seeing them portrayed for us, we need to turn away from that. If it opposes God, it's evil and we need to reject it because we need to develop confidence in God, not a fear of or being controlled by evil ideas or evil people. It's, there's just no place in that in the kingdom of God, because God wants us to have confidence in him. So, so maybe we should say it this way. So take courage, don't be afraid, and try turning off the TV or the radio or whatever it is. Maybe it's the internet. I don't know what it is for you. I'm not, I'm not picking on you or anything like that. I'm challenging you to say, would you have the courage to take a step to listen to the right things and listen to those people who tell you the truth. For example, I, I believe you can trust the people on this radio network to tell you the truth. So maybe you need to listen here more often and there less often. Well, we need to take a break, catch our breath, have some coffee or some tea, stretch our legs, and we'll be back and we'll talk some more, have more instant sermon right after these words. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Spreading the out loud truth from sea to shining sea. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. This is not a fight of Republican versus Democrat. It's not a fight of rich versus poor, old versus young, man versus woman, gay versus straight. It's not a fight of black lives, blue lives, Hispanic lives, or white lives. This is a battle of good versus evil. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. We are the vision of the voices America Out Loud Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is with Pastor Rick Stevens, where we challenge each other, where we stretch each other, where we help each other develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. We can trust him. He wants us to trust him. Deep down inside, we want to trust him. We just sometimes wonder what we do about fear, and that's something we need to overcome, and we talked about that. And we need to overcome that fear and, and hang on to our confidence and actually trust God. Fear doesn't help. So just set fear aside and turn to him and trust him. We were just talking about the concept of evil and what do we as Christians do to fight evil that's all around us. And, and there is a lot of things we identify with evil. And so I just want to remind you and encourage you to, to listen to voices that tell you the truth and avoid the evil influences. And I suggested that you listen to this network, America Out Loud. And let's use another example. It's become increasingly obvious that, that in too many places, they are not telling us the truth about this virus challenge that we've been going through. Too many instances of people being exposed as telling us a lie about those kind of things. And it's hard to get accurate, correct, medically sound inf information. And if you want that, I want to encourage you to listen to Peter McCullough on the McCullough Report on this network because he tells the truth and he, he brings the goods to, to verify what he's saying. So that's one example. We need to seek out sources that tell us the truth and follow them and reject those sources that, that we've caught in a lie. Once we've caught them in a lie, that discredits them because we will never know again whether they're telling us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So let's pick that up another question. This is instant sermon weekend here on the program where we go through questions and we just think about them out loud. I think about them. I talk about them. You process them. And hopefully together, I know it helps me. The more I think about these things and, and talk about them, it helps me deepen and develop my confidence in God. And I want to have an increasing confidence in God. I'm not sure that we ever get to the point, uh, ever get to the point, ever, ever get to the point that we have such a well-developed confidence in God that we don't need to stay on top of that and keep stretching toward that because life brings us too many challenges and we need to keep, keep growing that, what could we call it, confidence muscle. So let's take a little different turn here. Uh, this was an interesting question that I got and uh, I thought maybe we ought to talk about this because it's a little different perspective than we sometimes think. So the question is this, what does God want for Kim Jun? Oh, I don't know if I can pronounce his name right, for Kim Jong-un, I guess it is, Kim Jong-un, leader of North Korea. Often people refer to him as Kim. That's a lot easier. Maybe I should have just started with that. But anyway, uh, what does God want for him? You know, uh, people th sometimes think, how do we pray for people in pos decision-making positions, people that will make important decisions that will affect a lot of us? How do we pray for someone like Kim, who's a leader of a a very harshly oppressive country, particularly harsh toward people of faith, toward Christians. And we've heard some of the horror stories. Um, how do we pray? What does God want for him? Well, the first thing that, that I hasten to say, and some people just will not like this at all. First thing is God doesn't want to get him. You know, sometimes you and I, when we think about people like this and, and others, uh, we think, well, God, go get him as though we want God to give them what they deserve. Well, God doesn't want to give Kim what he deserves any more than he wants to give you and me what we deserve. 
See, God doesn't want to give him or any of us what we deserve. That's the point of a concept called grace. When we get what we don't deserve, that's a real good thing. And when we don't get what we deserve, that's a real good thing. See, grace delivers us from ourselves and gives us what we could never deserve so that we can walk in new life. We can walk in freedom and faithfulness. So first of all, keep in mind, and if you've been one of those people that tends to say every time some evil person rises up with evil deeds that you want God to get them, remember, God wants to deliver them from that evil, or as we often say, God wants to save them. God wants them to be fully developed, faithful followers of him. He doesn't want to crush them. We, in our error, sometimes want God to crush them, but God really wants to, to redeem them. He wants to forgive them, no matter how bad, no matter how heinous what they've done is, God wants to deliver them from that evil. Now, sometimes people, and I was reminded of this recently, sometimes people will admonish us that we need to pray for people like Kim. And, and uh, we do need to pray for people like Kim, but we don't need to pray that they would get what they're doing, that it would go well. We need to pray that God would correct them, would interrupt their nonsense, their foolishness, their evil deeds, that God would come to their rescue because when they do all of the things that God says don't, they're setting themselves up for an encounter with the living God that they don't want to have. They do not ever want to come face to face with God and have to give an account for their evil deeds. They just don't ever want to do that. They don't know that. They may be so full of pride or so deceived. I don't know Kim. I can't tell you what kind of person he is. But I know without a doubt that God's desire is to save his people from their sins. And Kim was created in the image of God, the same as you and I were. And we need to understand God's heart is to deliver people from evil, not to crush them because of their evil. So that's what God wants for him. That's what God wants for everyone. When you hear about people who have done terrible things, maybe people that under our laws are worthy of the death penalty, uh, we need to remember that, that God is not interested in destroying those people. He's interested in redeeming them. That's why he sent his one and only son. That's why the Bible says that Jesus became sin for us so that he could take all of the evil stuff that anyone ever has done and get victory over it on the cross. God wants to redeem Kim. He wants to redeem you. He wants to redeem everyone. And we need to invite him to do that. And we need to cooperate with him in doing that. We need to, to do all that we can to help people find him and find deliverance, find what we commonly say, and it's exactly right, to find salvation. What does God want for Kim? God wants salvation. God wants to make the wrong things in his life right. The same as he wants to do that for you and for the sorry rascal at work and for that neighbor down the street that just irritates you no end or whoever it might be that comes to mind. God wants to deliver that person from evil because you can tell, and we talked about evil a little bit ago, you can tell that they're tormented by evil by the way they behave. And we need to recognize that God sees that and we see that and we need to help them overcome that. That makes so much difference. Well, let's tackle one more question. There's a lot to this last question. I think we can finish it in the time we have, but uh, if we don't, we'll pick it up another time, or if we do, maybe we'll think of another question to add in. But this is a very thoughtful question. 
that, that came to me. It seems to me that this question reflects how people often feel, or uh, maybe I should put it this way, where almost everyone has felt this way from time to time. Some people to a greater extent or a lesser extent, some people are more sensitive for one reason or another, but it's a very good question and very much worthy of our thinking about. So here's the question and then we'll, we'll unpack it together. What can I do? The person asks. Sometimes I feel lost as if I'm losing my faith. I know Jesus loves me, but I don't always feel worthy of that love. Then I feel empty. I pray for guidance, but I feel like I'm still waiting. And they left the question hanging there. You know, a lot of people struggle with things. It could be for a lot of reasons, and I don't know that I can guess the reasons, but let's just take a look at this question as it was presented and, and see what's going on here. So it starts out by the, the person says, I, sometimes I feel lost. Well, it's not meant to be trite. It's not meant to take it lightly. But the first thing that occurs to me is this idea that sometimes I feel lost. You know, we are subject to feelings. That's part of how we're made up. But I would remind all of us that fe feelings, our emotions, make terrible masters. Our feelings are wonderful, wonderful servants, but they're terrible masters. And one of the problems, one of the challenges we have in developing confidence in God is that our feelings sometimes control us, or I should say it this way, sometimes we let our feelings control us. So if you struggle with that, one of the things I would like to ask you is why do you, why do you trust your feelings? Why do you believe them? Now, I know you feel it. I'm not doubting that. Uh, I, I know that's real in, a sen in the sense that it's, it's a real encounter with, uh, with something that's difficult to describe sometimes. And I know sometimes people feel, as this person did, felt lost. But the first thing we should challenge is why do we trust our feelings? Why do we give our feelings so much attention? Why do we promote them in, in our understanding as though our feelings always tell us the truth? Have you ever thought that your feelings might lie to you? Have you ever realized that your feelings aren't trustworthy? I mean, think about it. They come and go, don't they? They come and go unbidden. I mean, you can all of a sudden feel sad about something. People who go through the loss of a loved one, and they're still processing all of that, they will talk about how the sadness overwhelms them at times, and, and they can't predict that it. it just happens. And they wonder if they're losing their mind, and they're not, by the way, that's just what happens. That's not an unnormal thing. You can, I've heard people say they'll be going to the grocery store in the middle of the grocery aisle. They, they were just so overcome with the, with the profound sense of the loss that they had to leave and go home. They couldn't even finish their grocery shopping. Well, there's nothing wrong with people like that. That, that tends to happen, but think about it. If those feelings can come on us like that, then they are not controllable in that moment. Now we can overcome them and we need to, but if they just kind of sneak up on us that way, why do we believe them? Why do we think that they are telling us the truth? We need to process that in the same way we process grief so that we can make sense of that. So yes, you might feel that way, but why do you believe that? And they go on to say, sometimes I feel lost as if I'm losing my faith. Well, I want to quickly say, losing your faith is not like losing your car keys. 
All right. I had plenty of people that, and you've been around it too, where people say, Oh, where did I leave my keys? And they go on a mad scramble to find their keys because they don't know where they laid them down. They, for at least a few minutes, lost their keys. There's no sense in the Bible at all that we can lose our faith in a similar manner, manner to losing our keys. Okay. It's just not there. It's better to think of faith as allegiance to Jesus. And you've heard me say that if you've listened to this program, if you have, haven't, listen to this idea. The Bible's concept of belief is really better described in our English language as allegiance. We believe in Jesus. No, we pledge allegiance to Jesus to follow in the way he will go. Believing that he exists is one thing, but giving allegiance to him and, and pledging that we will do what he says, we will follow in the way he leads, is a totally different thing. And that's what faith is. Faith is an agreement with ourselves and him that we're going to follow him no matter what. We're going to give allegiance to him no matter what. We are going to be faithful to him no matter what. That's the heartbeat, the basis of faith. It's not this nebulous kind of thing that we might be able to lose, and it's not necessarily affirmed by our feelings can be bible talks about this other saints have given witness to this that the spirit beats with our spirits to assure us of things and and i hope that happens for you but when you're going through these kind of difficult challenges keep in mind you don't lose your faith like you lose your car keys they don't just disappear someplace and now you wonder oh dear what am i going to do and keep in mind that in those moments why do you believe your feelings? Now, if you have abandoned Jesus, if you are involved in something you know is wrong, something that the Bible calls sin, then you have reason to be alarmed and you need to correct that. But if you are faithful as God has led you to be faithful, if you are doing what he has called you to do, then you're not going to lose your faith just because all at once it's gone. It just doesn't work that way. That is not a biblical concept. Faith is confidence in God. And as long as we remain confident and trusting him and following the way he leads, we're not going to lose our faith. It's a fearsome thing to wonder if we have, but it's not going to happen. You can throw away your faith, but you're not going to lose it like you lose your car keys. And by the way, I hope you found those car keys. I hope you didn't lose them permanently. Okay, so sometimes I feel lost, and I'm losing my faith, and then they go on to say, I know Jesus loves me, but I don't always feel worthy of that love. Then I feel empty. All right, so build on what you know. I know Jesus loves me, absolutely, and we should remind ourselves of that. That's, that's God's revelation to us, that he loved us enough. What, what's the Bible say? You've, you've said it, haven't you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. See, he loved the world. That means you. It's not some abstract world. It means you, people. God loves you. And so you need to build on that and remind yourself of that. And if you struggle, just repeat that reality from the scriptures. We build our strength on truth. The foundation of our lives is on that which is true and right and good. So when, when the person says, I know, then I'm glad, because if you know, you're a long way home. If you know Jesus loves you, then you can just celebrate that. Sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But emphasize what you know 
and believe what you know and don't believe your doubts or fears or discouragements. Believe what you know. Believe him. Now, it's true, they go on to say in that next sentence, I know Jesus loves me, but I don't always feel worthy of that love. Well, I get that. Can any of us ever feel worthy of that love? I mean, really, can any of us feel worthy of that love? Uh, I don't know that we need to feel worthy of that. I think that's the point of Jesus coming, is that he proved to us in his coming, in his death, burial, and resurrection, that people are worth it. Why? I don't know. Now, I had an experience that, that I don't know what you want to do with this. I, I don't think I've told this story here before, may have. I don't tell it often because I, I know it's a little bit, uh, how should I say, uh, outside of our normal way of thinking about things. But, but it, was, it was just a, such a clarifying experience to me that, that maybe it'll help you in this concept of feeling worthy of that love. So when I visited Israel, one of the places that we visited was the Mount of Olives. And we visited the place uh, called Gethsemane, place of the press. There was an olive press there. It's preserved today. We, we're quite confident that that's where Jesus and his disciples went when they left the upper room and went down across the Kidron Valley and there up the slope of the Mount of Olives to the place of the press to Gethsemane. And that's where Jesus said to his disciples that, they, he was going to go a little farther into the garden and pray, and they should stay there. And he took the other couple of disciples a little farther in, and then he left them, and he went farther in as well. Well, in that last place where Jesus alone prayed, there's a large stone that this is what tradition tells us. We don't know if this is the exact spot, but it's believed to be. It certainly represents it, and geographically, it's in the correct place. So it might be. We just don't know. But this large, huge stone there was set aside as the place where Jesus prayed, and a church was built around it to preserve that place. That's common in Israel. It's a little jarring for us when we go there because we don't really realize why they would do that, but that's what faithful people have done. They, they did their best to preserve this spot. So this, this, this rock this, that is at the altar, the front of this church of all nations. And you go in there and you can walk up and you can see that spot. It's really quite fascinating because when you see, when you understand the geography and the challenge of that, that moment, it, uh, it really strikes you in, in ways I don't know how to describe. So Jesus went with his disciples to Gethsemane and then went deeper into the garden and, and to this place that, that we identify by this large stone. We walked in there and our group gathered around there and we were all pretty quiet and and reverent because we were, we were in a church, and, and also because of the, of the sacredness of the idea that, that Jesus was here praying. And, and we had been told that, um, and, and explained about the geography, and we could see that, it was pretty obvious to us, that, that Jesus moved from where he left his disciples at, at, the, at the olive press, deeper into the garden, away from them, and, and in some respects, away from Jerusalem, although it was kind of parallel to the city in other respects, but he, as he went deeper into the garden, he went farther away from them and farther away from people who might be looking for him. And it would have been very easy for Jesus, very easy. Uh, no one could have found him if he wanted to, to get lost in the countryside. Very easy for him to escape and get on the road back to Bethany, where he had friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and escape the whole ordeal of the cross 
and the burial and the resurrection. It, it, it was just completely obvious that he could have run away and no one would have known. No one could have found him. The Romans who later crucified him couldn't have found him. The Jews that were first to, to, to take him into custody couldn't have found him. And so here I found myself at this stone in, in this church, knowing all of that and realizing the geography in a way I'd never realized it before. I couldn't have realized it because I didn't understand the geography of that time. And I found myself just overcome by the realization that he didn't run, that he didn't run. Instead, he went toward those who were seeking to arrest him, to condemn him to a brutal death on the cross. He went toward that. He embraced that. And in a, in a most peculiar way, and, and again, you can think me peculiar, lots of people have, so he won't be the first. But in a peculiar way, I found myself saying to him as though I were there and I wasn't and he wasn't there. It was just, it was just somehow a, 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 an impactful experience for me. But I found myself saying to Jesus, run, Jesus, run. I'm not worthy of this, run. And I knew in that moment what you know, that none of us are worthy of that. None of us. But I also knew that Jesus didn't pay a lick of attention to me. He didn't run. He could have. And he knew he could have. It, there was no doubt that he knew that. No doubt. But instead of running, he turned and went back and embraced those who came to arrest him and went to the cross in no small measure to demonstrate to you that he loves you. You may feel like you aren't worthy, same as I have, but Jesus puts that to rest when he turned and embraced the cross. When he said to, to God, not my will, but yours be done. And instead of running away, he turned back. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say he was tempted to run, but implicitly in that statement of Jesus, it's there. And he turned back and embraced the cross to show you and me that he considered us worthy of redemption. The person concludes this question that we've been wrestling with by saying, I pray for guidance, but I still, but I pray for guidance, but I feel like I'm still waiting. You know, we all go through times that it's easier and harder to have confidence in God. And the evidence is there that we can trust him. And, and my little story may help you. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it will. I hope it does. I, I can't always make sense of why I had that encounter, but it was, it was amazingly powerful. It was as though God met me there and talked to me in that moment and, and had me kind of reenact that moment as, though, as if I were there. And, and you may not have that kind of an experience. I'm not suggesting you will. And you may struggle sometimes with feeling worthy. Sometimes that's because of the way people have treated you. Sometimes maybe you heard that all your life that you won't amount to anything. I've, I've no idea. I'm sorry if you've heard that. But what I want to remind you of is that that's not what Jesus says to you. And you don't find your sense of yourself in what other people have said. You find your identity in what Jesus has done for you and now says about you. You find your identity in being what we have for centuries called being a Christian, what we sometimes refer to as a Christ follower. And I like that description because it says what we do. 
we follow Christ. We find our identity in him, not in ourselves, not in our experiences, not in our families, not in our friends, no matter how good or bad of experiences you've had. Jesus calls you to find your identity in him, to find yourself in him. It's not about whether you or I are worthy. It could never be about that because the answer to that is obvious. Of course we aren't. But it's about how God says to us through the gift of his son, from my perspective, you're worth it. And I'm going to make a way for you. You are created in the image of God. You look like someone that I'm proud of. You bear my mark by virtue of creation and you're worth it. And I want you to follow me. And I want you to have a new and better life, better than you could ever have imagined. And I want you to not worry about losing your faith. I want you to have confidence in me. I want you to have absolute confidence in my trustworthiness. And that's what I want for you this week too. May God bless you, keep you, strengthen you. Amen. Amen.